As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, Go wash yourselves in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing him. His neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. They asked, Who healed you? What happened? He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now? I don't know, he replied. Great job, buddy. I might be a little impartial, but I think he did a pretty good job. <laughs> we are in a series that is titled That You May Believe. We are looking through the seven signs in John's gospel. We are on sign number six, and we will finish this on Easter Sunday with the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so... Um, the two easiest times to ever invite someone to church is Easter and Christmas. So these are great opportunities for you to be thinking. In fact, they did one study and they said eight out of 10 Americans, if someone would personally invite them to church, would accept an invitation. So um, let's, let's be people this week. They're inviting friends and family. But right now, next door, um, not next door, actually just across the hallway, our kids are in the process. And what they are learning right now is from Genesis chapter six, their faith fact is that God wants us to obey. And so parents in the room, if you've got kids over there, feel free to take a picture of the screen. There's some questions you can ask them on the way home. Also, this will be on social media and Facebook so you can engage them with what they are learning. Also, um, families, this today, we have this at our kids check-in area. It's a Easter resource that's starting today and it'll take you all the way through Easter Sunday. Um, these are different things that's going to walk us on our journey kind of to the cross. So each day has its own card. So today's is on cost. It's got the scripture for you to read as a family. There's a link to where you can go and um, find a video to watch as a family that kind of centers your attention on it. And then there's even an activity. So today you'd be taking communion together as a family. There's a really good one where actually we're going to be talking about the cup that Jesus drank on our behalf, the cup of God's wrath. And it actually has your kids sticking their finger and vinegar and tasting it. So I can't wait to do that with my kids and watch their facial expressions. But um, it's, it's a great resource for us to center our attention on what Easter really is about. Now, would you pray with me this morning as we invite God to speak to us through his word? Father, we come before you. We thank you that your word, it's living, it's powerful, it's mighty, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, we invite it to come into diagnose our hearts, to open our eyes, to allow us to see the truth that you have for us. 
And Jesus, we pray that no matter what it is that we've walked in here with, whether it was a good week or a bad week, whether we're in victory or in struggle, that, Lord, you would center our thoughts and attention on your word and that you would shape us and change us. It's in your mighty name we pray this. Amen. Amen. Today, we're going to deal a little bit in regards to, to something along that line. This is a unique sign that we see. And we were talking about signs, and John says that he gives us these signs that you may believe. Signs that you may believe. This sign is an incredibly important one, Jesus opening the eyes of a man born blind. In Isaiah chapter 35, this is what it says about the coming Messiah. It says, and he who comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. All who would have been looking for the Messiah, one of the things that they were looking for is that this Messiah, this person to come, would do certain things. There, there was the prophets of old who projected what they were to do, and this is one of them, that he would come and he would open the eyes of the blind. So when Jesus is doing this sign, it's even more than just the miracle. He's making a declaration to everyone who's present, I am the one who is to come. I am the Messiah. It was a revelation, an unveiling of who Jesus was, but also what he had the power to do. If you remember, also in John's gospel, um, in John chapter 3, we find one of the most important verses in all scripture, John 3, 16. But before that, it starts this way. Nicodemus, who's meeting with him, it says, Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. But notice how Jesus replies to him. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, hey, we see, we get a sense, we know that something's different about you, that you're, like, you're from God in some way. We're trying to wrestle with that, figure out who you are. And Jesus is like, unless you're born again, you, you're not gonna be able to see. You will see the sign and miss its meaning. And that happened all the time. And we're gonna see that today. There will be a miraculous, incredible moment here where Jesus performs this miracle. And the eyes of the Pharisees will be completely closed to the truth of it because their hearts were blind. In this story and in this sign we're going to look at today, we're going to see John do what he does throughout the whole gospel. He's going to compare and contrast. In this story, we're going to find a man who has been blind since birth receive his sight. And we're going to see people who we have thought that they've had spiritual sight their whole life really be proven that they're blind. And so that's what we're going to see. So let's start by kicking it off by looking at that, the, this miracle and see how this man was seen by Jesus. Read with me again. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or the sins of his parents? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. The disciples asked an important question. It was a question that raged in their day, and it's a question that also rages in us today. Are the sicknesses we have, are the things that we go through, are they because of our sins? And the answer is yes and no, okay? All sickness, all disease is a result of sin. There was no sickness, there was no death, there was nothing 
um, before Adam and Eve decided to make the colossal moment of choosing treason and rebellion against God. There was perfection. There's perfection in their relationship with God. They walked in the cool of the evening with God. Like they took long walks by the beach with God. Like that's cool. Like, you know, the cool evening of the day, they're just sitting there and they're chilling with him. But then sin crushed and destroyed all of that. And it brought in sickness and disease and death. Now, there is certain consequences, right, that come with sin. Like, like, that's just the truth of it. If you decide to kill someone, which is a sin, I hope you know that, right? What? Murder's a sin? I never knew, Pastor. I need to repent. No. Um, there's consequences that come with it. Whenever we make choices, there is. But what was being debated in this time is that people would see someone who was blind or see someone who was deaf or seen, and the assumption was either they had made a colossal, horrible sin and God, this was his punishment upon them, or their parents had. And Jesus is going, no. This is just the result of living in a fallen world. Notice this, he, the, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, this is what we've kind of been told, this is what we've been dating, so help us determine. Was it this man's sin or was it his parents' sins? And Jesus goes, it was neither. The result of what's happening here has nothing at all to do with what his parents has done or what he has done. It is, in fact, he goes on to say, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now let me give some nuance to this too. This does not mean that Jesus is saying that God intentionally forced this man to be born blind. That this moment was kind of, no, what he is saying is that God can take what is broken and he can turn it into beauty and allow his glory to be seen through it, okay? And we're gonna see that in the story, but we needed to wrestle with that here at the outset. And there's a reason for that. We need to take a deeper look at this conversation the disciples are having this conversation right in front of the man. They are talking about him and acting as if he isn't even there. They're walking down the road. They see this man. The picture is he's like sitting right here and you almost get the picture. One of the disciples is looking down. Hey, this dude, hey, Jesus, why is he blind, right? Like, there's this, this moment. They're talking about him and acting as if he isn't even there. What's really interesting is they've done studies now and they found that people who um, are born with a disability, oftentimes their other abilities are actually heightened. So specifically, like those who are born blind, their brain actually rewires itself to enhance all of its other abilities. So they can usually hear better than the rest of us can. And we're already terrible at hearing. We're not good listeners, <laughs> But what they found is actually people who have been born blind, not only can they hear really well, they have a phenomenal memory. They can hang on to nuances and specific words. They, 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 it, it links into their memory. And what we find here is that the effects of the lifelong condition for this man is like you can see it, you can feel it, that he has been seen by so many people. Everyone who's walked past him, they have seen him, but they have actually not seen him or known him. It's happening even with the disciples. They're walking by and they're talking about him as if he's not even there. Um, and he's heard people constantly talk and guess at the nature, the character of his condition, wondering, did he deserve this? Did his parents do this? And, and probably even those questions were raging even in his own heart. 
Everyone saw pastor through him, but Jesus saw him. Oh, that's beautiful. For his whole life, he had been sitting there as a beggar. And everyone who came by, they saw him, but was out of sight, out of mind. They knew of him, but they didn't know him. And even the disciples who are walking with Jesus, the picture you get is they're ready just to kind of keep going, but they've got a question. Whereas Jesus stops and he says something. And I want you to imagine, imagine being that man. He's sitting there, he's listening to this whole conversation, but then he hears Jesus say these words. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Like his soul had to just light up. Here is someone who didn't just see past him or through him, who actually saw him. He had been looked at but not seen. He had been known about but not known. In fact, even after this, the miracle after, the people who knew him his whole life, whenever he, come back, he comes back to them seeing, they're like, well, I'm not sure it's the same guy. It just shows you how, like, so, like, they, they just walk past, like, they don't even recognize him. And he's, like, trying to convince them, like, uh, I've sat outside. I, I know you. I know your voice. Like, it's the first time I've seen you, but, like, you know me. Like, I'm the same exact guy. He does everything he can to remind them. But the problem is this, is that they've saw past him for so long, and they've never gotten close enough to really see him. But Jesus saw him, and Jesus sees you. He sees you. Even in the areas of your own heart that you've walked past. Even in the areas of your heart that you've wondered, does anybody see, does anybody know, does anybody care? Does anybody recognize the pain that I'm in? Does anybody recognize the years I've carried this load? Your king sees you in those moments. And as Jesus says those words, they'd have been powerful to that man's soul. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. So let's break down this sign. It's a little weird. Let's just be real. So then he spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. I'll be honest. We all want to be there for the miracle of like the feeding of the 5,000. We want to be there for like, but like... When Jesus hawks a loogie on the ground, like part of us are like, yeah, that miracle, I don't, I have, uh, yeah. He like, but the, there's something beautiful that's happening here, okay? And we're gonna get to that. He made mud with the saliva. He spread the mud over the blind man's eyes and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and he washed and he came back seeing. So the question has been debated for centuries. Why does Jesus spit in the mud? There's lots of ideas. I'm gonna just tell you, the commentators are all over the place on this. If you were to read some of the stuff that's out there as to why, it gets pretty hairy. It can get, it can get really... So like, for instance, there was an ancient view of saliva that it had kind of a healing power. And I'm like, what? Like, so like our parents just like spitting on their kids, like be healed. <laughs> you know? like, um, or others say that he just did it because like the Pharisees with their, like, their cleanliness laws, like Jesus does it just to tick off the Pharisees, which I can see. Um, but also the simple fact of him making the mud 
would have been classified under their laws as breaking the Sabbath. It would have been seen as work, right? And so then there's the aspect of that. Let me give you three reasons why I think he did it. Number one, he wanted to. Right, like, like the, he wanted to. Jesus chose to. All right, but the second one is I think there's an analogy that's happening here that's going all the way back to Genesis chapter one. In Genesis chapter one, God creates the heavens and the earth and he speaks it all into being. But when you get to the actual creation of Adam, the forming of humanity, the picture you get is God's hands down in the dust forming Adam and then actually breathing life into him. Like there's this, his hands are involved, his voice is involved, his breath, like the totality of God is stamping upon humanity something different. He's creating something new. And the picture you get here is as Jesus spits in the mud and he turns it into almost like a form of clay and he's putting it over the man's eyes. The picture you get is it's like there's something happening here where it's not even just like a restoration of his eyes. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm creating new ones and I have the power to do it. I have the power to do what is impossible for everyone else. As we break down the sign and we look at it, there, there is something going on here that's beautiful. Again, A, he wanted to. B, I think it's going back to Genesis chapter one, but also I think it's so that the man, even though he's healed in that moment, he can't see until it's washed off. If he'd have just healed that man's eyes right there in that moment, he would have opened them up and he would have seen who? Jesus. But Jesus intentionally covers his eyes with mud so he cannot see till it's washed off. Because again, as in all of John's gospel, you're seeing a compare and contrast. He's gonna compare two different stories of two different healings. If you remember, if you go back, the healing of the lame man. The man had been lame for most of his life. Jesus healed him and basically he was like, forget you, Jesus, I wanna do my own thing. He didn't even know who healed him. He had to go back and find out later. The same is true in this story. The man's never even seen Jesus. And he's going to have a confrontation with the Pharisees. And they're going to be like, who healed you? And he's like, uh, Jesus, but I haven't seen him. <laughs> I had to wipe the mud off my eye. He has to put his faith in Jesus even when he's not seen him yet. So why do you think, or why do I think that it was new eyes? I think it's because there's a parallel of physical healing with what's happening spiritually. Remember back to John chapter three, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Just even see the kingdom of God, you must be spiritually born again. Everything was different about this man after this miracle. His neighbors see him, they recognize him, but they're not even sure it's the same man. The same should be true of us after salvation. I see him, man, they look familiar. Like there's some things about them that I see and know, but like something's different. <laughs> they even physically look like there's something different about them. So let's now look at, we're gonna read quite a bit here, but let's take a look at now the confrontation that happens after the miracle, starting in verse 13. It says, then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. So they're like, ah, Jesus worked. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God for he is working on the Sabbath. You wanna talk about missing the point. 
Like seriously, come on. Like you're, there's a man in front of you that you've known your whole life who's been blind from birth that Jesus has just healed and the only thing you care about is he spit in the mud and needed it. So that kneading process was work. So he's obviously not from God. It shows how blind their eyes are. This man is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man. So now we're on their second questioning process. Who had been blinded and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? This is where we see a break between the man and the lame man. The lame man just throws Jesus under the bus and is like, I want out. I don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. Like, forget this guy. I don't care that he healed me. I want my thing my own way. Notice what the blind man does. There's a deep division. So they're asking him, what's your opinion? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called his parents. They're like, I don't believe it. He's faking it. He wasn't really blind. So let's call his parents in. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he see? Now I'll just be honest here. The parents throw their kid under the bus. His parents replied, we know this is our son and we know that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Now there's a reason for this. What's happening in this moment is they're asking a line of questions because anyone who's associated with Jesus, they're starting to kick out of the synagogue. That's more than just being asked, hey, don't come here anymore for worship. This is like having your business blackballed, your family disown you, everyone that you know and love acting as if you no longer even exist. And this still happens to this day. There's two, there's two different types of way that they can do that. Um, one of the commentators, he writes about a friend that he knew that came to Christianity and his Jewish family actually created a grave for him, erected a headstone and placed on it for his death date the day that he accepted Christ. Never to speak to him again. I'm not joking. That's what we're talking about in this moment. And so the Pharisees know anybody who is in the process of like starting to follow after Jesus, this kind of stuff can happen. And so they don't want to get kicked out of synagogue. So what they say is simply, hey, we don't know. We know it's our son. We know he was born blind. We know that he's healed now. We don't know who did it, but he's old enough, so ask him. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said he's old enough, ask him. So for the second time now, they called the man in who had been blind and they told him, God should get the glory for this. In other words, you need to recant that it was Jesus because we know this man, Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? And look, the man explained, I told you once, didn't you? I love this. The guy gets sarcastic. Like, listen, I swear he's a teenager. Um, <laughs> listen to his words. and his, I love this. Watch this. All right. <laughs> it's so good. Look, the man, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? He throws it back at him, knowing their response. Like this, imagine, you know what I'm talking about. Whenever you're in an argument and you shouldn't, but you know their button. 
and you press it and you watch their mind just go, this is that moment. When he looks at the Pharisees and he's like, do you want to be his disciples too? This wasn't a naive, like serious question. He is pressing the button. And let me tell you what, he presses it. <laughs> they, do you want to be this? Then they cursed him and they said, you are his disciples, but we're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, good argument, but he, isn't, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will, also a good argument. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. What this story uncovers is the tragedy of blindness. Spiritual blindness. The definition of blind is the inability to see because of injury, disease, or of a condition. That was his reality physically, but it was most certainly their reality spiritually. To be blind is to be able to, unable to see what is right in front of you, what is staring you in the face. Jesus is using this miracle to reveal not just his heart towards us, but also to reveal the heart of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Because to be blind spiritually is to have truth or reality right in front of you, and yet it's hidden from you. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Paul writes that to the Corinthian church. Can I tell you something? Chosen blindness is the greatest of all tragedies. To have been exposed to the truth and willingly choose to close our eyes and say, no, thank you. The Pharisees in this story have to go to great lengths. There's a man in front of them that has been healed by God who is testifying to the power of what God can do in a life. And they don't, they still see right through him. They don't care because they don't want to see the truth. What they want to see is what they want. L listen, they saw a miracle, but they focused on Jesus making mud. They saw a life changed and they called Jesus a sinner. That, listen, this is the look of blindness. Throughout scripture, it talks about it like this. Stiff necks, calloused hearts, or blind spiritual eyes. Do you know what a callus is? Okay. Callus is essentially an area where you've been wounded. Starts with a cut, a scrape, an area in your foot that had been rubbing. And the body's response to it is very interesting. It layers Layer after layer after layer after layer of dead skin over the wound so that it creates a desensitivity where you can't feel it anymore. A callus can become so thick that you can literally poke it with a needle and the person can't feel it at all. Death has covered over pain and is not allowing feeling. 
So whenever the Bible looks and it says you've got calloused hearts or stiff necks, what it's challenging us is is that literally there was an area where there was a wound (laughs) and we've layered it now with deadness so that there's no more sensitivity to the spirit of God. How do you get to a place where you look at someone who has been blind since birth, Jesus has healed them, and then you look at the person who did it and you're like, they're a sinner. How? A calloused heart. But what about us? It's easy for us to hop on the train of those Pharisees. What about our calloused hearts? The places that the Holy Spirit has tried to whisper, I love you so much. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. You've trusted in something that's not me. Come back. But instead of opening that wound to his presence, we layer deadness over top. And we slowly become desensitized to his voice, to his presence, to his call. And without realizing it, we choose blindness. And he starts to move And he starts to move maybe in somebody else's life and we actually get bitter and we get angry. We sound a little bit like Eliab, David's brother. David arrives at the battle and he's getting ready to go out and he's thinking about facing Goliath. And he says, why are you all afraid? Our God is with us. Let's go fight this Philistine. And Eliab goes, I know your wicked heart, David. You just came because you wanted to see blood and guts and battle. You just want to watch the carnage. And so you're trying to get someone to go out there and die. You know what's really interesting is Eliab just looked at David and said, I know your wicked heart. You know what happened the chapter before? God said, I'm looking after a man after my own heart. Eliab just cursed the heart that was after God. When we are blind spiritually, whenever we have put calloused hearts on, whenever we've done this, listen to me, it's going to change our perspective. We'll quit looking for truth. We'll even turn away from truth that's staring us directly at the face. We'll look for where that line of sin is, but we'll try to cozy up to it as close as we possibly can rather than getting away from it as far as we possibly can. We'll rationalize sin. We'll want to justify what we want, what we desire. We'll refuse to see what God has even done in others, refuse to remember what he has done. And we'll start to disbelieve his word, his work, his voice, and his activity, even though they're staring us right in the face. When you look at the contrast in this miracle, read with me in verse 35. And it says this, when Jesus heard what had happened. I love this. Again, this is, the almost, this is almost the exact same story as the lame man earlier in the Gospel of John. Like You put them side to side, and they are almost replicas other than the fact of the response of the two men. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he went and he found the man and he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, (laughs) because Jesus is a little bit like him. Notice the Pharisees are right nearby. Watch what Jesus says. 
I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think that they can see that they're blind. Some of the Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus goes, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. The contrast of this miracle is that a man born blind sees and religious leaders who are supposed to be spiritually with open eyes are seen to be seen as blind. I want you to look at this man's witness. Verse 32 says this, ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. This man, if he were not from God, he couldn't have done it. I love this. The man gives witness with absolutely no theological training. You notice that? Like Jesus didn't send down and be like, hey, look, you're about to go before the Pharisees. So we're gonna spend about three days in theological training so you're prepped and ready to go for them. He's a lot like a little bit, the, the guy from Mark chapter five, the demon possessed man. Like he goes from naked and crazy to 30 minutes later being a sent one by Jesus to go tell others about him. We so often are like, ah, I feel like I can't tell someone because I don't, I don't know everything that I feel like I should. No, no, no. You have your life as a witness. That's what he has. The man's witness is this. He goes, no, I, I can't tell you. I, I've not even seen the guy. <laughs> I've heard his voice. Guess what? You've heard his voice too. Every time you open your Bible, you hear his voice. He goes, I've not seen the guy. And he goes, but ever since the world began, no one's been able to open the eyes of, the blind, of anyone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. He gives a witness to who Jesus is. He tells of who he is. Listen, one of the greatest proofs of God is changed lives. Jesus came to open blind eyes and to expose closed hearts. John chapter five, that miracle reveals that you can experience a miracle of God and still choose to close your heart. John chapter nine shows that it's a miracle that proves that God can take and open blind eyes. Because here's the final truth. Opened eyes should create open lives. Jesus said it was not because of his sins or his parents that this happened. It happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Verse 30, how did that get seen? Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and who do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. That word, power of God, seen in him, in the Greek, it means revealed, shown, manifest, or declared. What Jesus is saying, this man, his life is going to manifest and declare the glory of God. And God's power and glory was able to be seen through him. Not just because his eyes were open, but because of the witness that he gave. It's an incredible miracle that God changes lives. But can I tell you something? If God does something in your life and then you lock your lips, oh, the tragedy. If God does something amazing in your life and he transforms you, but then you're like, I don't want to tell anyone about it, tragedy. God's power and glory is able to be seen through us. Jesus is the light of the world. And as his light shines in us, it reveals what God has done 
and how powerful he is and how good he is. Do you remember the day he called your name? Do you remember the day when you realized that every vile thing that you've ever done, that sin that you, that, that, that one sin, that one that haunts you late at night, the one that like it lingers and it just feels like it's got a weight over you. That moment when you realized that God the Father placed that sin upon his son on the cross and Jesus cried out for all to hear, paid in full. That every single ounce of the justice of God, the just righteous punishment that is due you for it was stamped upon Jesus and he said it is gonna be poured out fully upon my son but upon you, you will get everything that he deserves. And God the Father looks at you and he says, holy, righteous, innocent, perfect, because you are in my son. If we really know that, if we really believe that, our opened eyes should create open lives. We've got the greatest message this world has ever heard. We've got the truth of a God who loves us so much he gave his one and only son. The only proper response is to have our lives be used for the sake of the gospel. Will you stand with me this morning as the team comes to the stage? If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're gonna bring the, the lights down. Um, I want us to spend some time just here in prayer. And I wanna ask us some questions. Wherever you're at in this room, will you take a moment and will you probe your heart? Will you take the scalpel, the needle, the sharp edge of God's word and will you allow it to start touching and looking for any calluses? Is there anywhere that you have blind eyes? <laughs> Can I tell you something? In order for the Pharisees in this story to miss the fact of who Jesus really was, they had to with intentionality look the other way. Isaiah prophesied the coming Messiah would open blind eyes. Standing in front of them is the one foretold who would open blind eyes and they look at the one who has been promised to come and they say, he's a sinner. In other sections, they'll say, he casts out demons because he's the prince of demons. Like that makes any sense at all. But they could say these things and think these things because their hearts were blinded. And so my question for us this morning is simply this. Is there any area of your heart or your life right now that there's a callus developing? An area that there was a wound, there was a mistake, there was a sin, or something that someone did to you. There's an area you pursued and you've started to look for fulfillment there other than in Jesus and in doing so you've allowed death to grow over it and you're now becoming desensitized 
to his voice, to his word, to his presence. And if so, will you take a moment right now and just say, Jesus, help me. Open my eyes. Father, we come before you. We need you. God, it so quickly can creep in those areas, those places that we become blind to what it is you're wanting to do and what you're even wanting to speak and say to us. But Lord, today we pray for open hearts, open eyes, and open lives. Maybe today the Holy Spirit's drawing you. And you're like that blind man. (laughs) There's rejoicing in your heart for what he's done in you. And today, God's looking at you and he's saying, my son, my daughter, be a witness. Open your life to the beauty of the gospel. Allow your life, no matter the cost, no matter the consequence, no matter what they will say, no matter what they think, no matter what they will feel, that that today, God, use my life for the sake of your glory. Father, I pray for every heart in this room that we would be people who are open to your moving, your speaking, that you would do what only you can do. God, I pray that you would erase calluses in this moment. Lord, as we repent of our sins, your word says you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sins. And Lord, we pray that today you would create in us a new heart, oh God. That just like David, in our repentance, we would return and say, God, open my heart, open my eyes. You're all that I need. In your name we pray. Amen.